It may be hard to believe, but the 2019 draft class for the Seahawks, they're already heading into the final year of their rookie contracts. How has that group fared so far? And what should we expect from those players heading into the 2022 season? Nick Lee and I are going to be breaking it down on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Joining me for our Blue Friday episode, my co-host Nick Lee. Thanks as always for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week as always in our blue friday episode gonna have some games today gonna be playing a little what's the word otas edition plus we'll be taking a look at the 2019 draft class for the seahawks amazingly they're in the final year of their rookie contracts already we'll be breaking down how that group has fared through their first three seasons and what to expect from that group in 2022 now for your lead story here on locked on seahawks It has been quite a year for awards for Tyler Lockett, including most recently getting an Emmy for his Black Wall Street docuseries and also being inducted to the Ring of Honor at Kansas State. Now he can add another award to his mantle, Nick, named the Seattle Male Sports Star of the Year. They had their awards banquet last night, and Lockett was the selection for Seahawks players since 2020. K.J. Wright won that award. Bobby Wagner was the second most recent in 2016. Obviously, a lot of Seahawks have won this award over the last 10 to 15 years because the team has been really good, but Lockett getting the award for the first time, and really, uh, it's nice to see him finally getting recognition. He was Walter Payton Man of the Year nominee last year as well getting recognition for his efforts both on and off the field as one of the best and most underrated receivers in the NFL. He really does continue to be underrated, which is kind of amazing. Three straight thousand plus yard seasons, especially impressive last year when you give the context of what what went on in 2021 for the Seahawks with um, some turbulence, a quarterback and some just inconsistencies in production elsewhere. He was just he's he was getting his. And obviously he had some dry spells too, but he, in the end, when the numbers uh, bear out over 17 games, had a very Tyler Lockett-like year. And um, yeah, it's great for him to win this award. Um, and it, it's it, it's nice to see, because I, I was seeing on Twitter even today that, you know, I saw I, there's a, a tweet out there about how Cortland Sutton is the most talented receiver that Russell Wilson has ever played with. And most of the comments were, uh, have you heard of DK Metcalf? But I'm like, or maybe Tyler Lockett. <laughs> I mean, just it, 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 that was most of the comments were, yeah, no, that's not true. And, and Tyler Lockett con- continues, continues to be undervalued. And, and just looking at his stats, um, and the stats only tell part of the story, just with his catch rate, his, I think he had zero drops last year. Um, and, and that the, the one play that always will stick in my memory as the, the quintessential Tyler Lockett is that that toe drag swag of toe drag swag catches against the Rams a couple of years ago, just unbelievable body control and, and precision. Um, that's just what he is. He's precise. He's, he's, he's maybe not the flashiest, biggest receiver. Doesn't have the huge payday, the big, huge personalities, the, the gold teeth, the, the, the sexy, you know, accessories and, and all this stuff. 
he just goes to work and gets it done on and off the field clearly and is one of the better men in the league, uh, an exemplar, uh, someone I would be – I'd be thrilled if my son turned out like Tyler Lockett. Yeah, he's a great role model on and off the field. And you mentioned that toe drag touchdown against the Rams. That is still – that is one of the five greatest catches – that I have seen in an NFL game. It is easily the best that I've seen in person. I remember in the press box, if you looked around, the reporters that were covering both teams, like the theme of the press box for the entire quarter was just jaw drop. Like everybody just stayed there permanently till like the end of the quarter. It was one of the greatest plays that I've seen in an NFL game in person, probably the best play I've seen. I don't know the, the two-point conversion catch that the Bears receiver made in that game was pretty remarkable a few months back as well. But, I mean, that is that play is, as you mentioned, the quintessential catch for Tyler Lockett. That touchdown he had against the Colts last year where Russell Wilson threw it way back to his right and he was able to track it like Willie Mays, who, by the way, he said he didn't know who Willie Mays was, which you and I, being baseball purists, uh, had to kind of shake our heads a little bit, but – he plays the game like Willie Mays as a receiver with incredible body control, hand-eye coordination, understanding of where he is on the field, understanding coverages. And you mentioned the fact that, you know, you look at the numbers, 1,000 yards in three consecutive seasons. The only other receiver that's ever done that in Seahawks history is some guy named Steve Largent, who I think is one of the better receivers that's ever played the game, if I remember correctly. Yeah, pretty elite company. And – Four years in a row with at least eight touchdown receptions. He doesn't drop passes. His catch rate is consistently among the best when you're looking at the elite receivers that get a ton of targets. He had 100 catches two years ago. And yet, I don't think he has been to a Pro Bowl since his rookie season. And he has not been an all-pro selection as an offensive player. Yeah, wasn't he wasn't even as a receiver. Yeah, he just it's it's incredible to me. And I know this league is loaded with talent at receiver and it just keeps getting better because we're seeing all these incredible young receivers coming into the league year in, year out. Every draft, it feels like, oh, this year's loaded at the position. And yet year in, year out, Tyler Lockett is putting up big numbers. He's been in an offense that isn't necessarily known for slinging the ball over the place, too. And oh, by the way, he's got DK Metcalf to take some targets away from him and he's still putting up really gaudy numbers in a offense that's been built around running the football most of Pete Carroll's time here. And so he really is still criminally underrated when you're looking from a national perspective. The fact he has not at least been a second team all pro one time in any of the past three seasons, his numbers stack up well with anybody in terms of efficiency and explosive plays and not dropping passes. I mean, he is the complete package and yet, he hasn't gotten those awards, but we can see that he's getting notice off the field for the work that he does. Kansas State putting him in the ring of honor, obviously valued as one of the greatest players ever to come out of that institution. His father's eventually going to join him in the ring of honor there. I mean, they are Kansas State staples in Manhattan. So it's nice to see Tyler Lockett having all this success and getting some recognition. Not a guy that's going to ask for it. That's just not his personality. Uh, but and he's also sold his first house as a real estate agent, too. I mean, this guy, he's getting prepared for when football's gone. And I've seen some people giving him flack for that. And I'm like, what is wrong with you? What, what's wrong with him preparing for life after football? This guy just has all of his ducks in a row. And he's just so much fun to watch play. And it's so much fun to watch him work off the field and impact people's lives. 
Yeah, he's a treat. And with the the so much turnover, especially on offense for the Seahawks, obviously a quarterback, he now becomes one of the more steady presences in that locker room. And guys are going to look to him and and he becomes one of the elder statesmen on that roster. And it's it's really it's nice to have him who's who's not out to get his. He's, I mean, he, he's going to get his, but it's not because he's being selfish. Um, he's going to he's going to set a good example. He's going to keep his mouth shut when he needs to, and he's going to talk when he needs to. I think he 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 toes that line really well um, as a leader in the club and in the locker room. So as far as starting off this new era of Seahawks football, you could do a lot worse than having uh, Tyler Lockett towards the uh, top of your leadership board. And the Seahawks made sure to post a few clips over the past few days of Tyler Lockett hauling in deep balls from Drew Locke on the practice field. They're doing what they can for both of the quarterbacks that are competing. It wasn't underthrown. They got to make sure that those plays are showing up on social media so fans can get hyped. And, you know, maybe that's the difference for whoever wins a starting job. You look at the talent on the outside, maybe you can get by with having an average starting quarterback because of the receiving talent and the running back talent that is around them. So I'm curious to see what Lockett does, but he has been a beacon of consistency on and off the field. And he's a ring of honor player for Kansas state. I think he's well on his way to being a ring of honor player for the Seattle Seahawks as well. When we return, we're going to be taking a look at the 2019 draft class. It's hard to believe, but that group is already entering the fourth year of their respective NFL careers, which means the final season of their rookie contracts. We're going to be looking back at that group, how they've performed up to this point and what to expect in 2022. Before we revisit that 2019 draft class three years later, I want to talk to you about a product that I've been using literally every day. We started taking AG1 from Athletic Grains, wanted an easy, delicious way to improve our gut health, and we have found it with AG1. Delicious one scoop of this green canister of AG1. You're going to be absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery focus, and the best part, aging. I certainly need help with that. It's lifestyle friendly. Drink it first thing in the morning, even before having coffee or Gatorade. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. Experience better, sounder sleep and recovery, and it supports my mental clarity and alertness. Athletic Greens doesn't just make it easy to get healthy. It is easy to get, too. That's because Athletic Greens is going to give a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash NFL Network to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Joining me for today's show, Nick Lee. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast for your second listen. They've got the biggest stories of the day, plus instant reactions, big game recaps, and the take of the day. It's available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. Normally in the NFL, life flies pretty darn fast. It's not abnormal for a draft class to come in and then you turn around, you blink a few times, and they're entering the final year of their rookie contract, even with COVID being in the middle of their rookie contracts and slowing down time to molasses over 
about four or five months there, maybe even longer for some people with us being penned up in our houses, the quarantine, whatever. Even with that, we are already in the fourth year, the final year of the rookie contract for this 2019 draft class for the Seahawks. And obviously there's been some star power. We mentioned DK Metcalf a little bit last quarter. He's put up historic numbers in his first three seasons, but overall, even though a lot of these guys have stuck around with the Seahawks, Nick, it's been a kind of underwhelming class. And I think a lot of it has had to do with health. A number of these guys have had significant injuries in their first three seasons with the Seahawks. Yeah, it's it, uh, DK Metcalf certainly sticks out when you just have these guys on, yeah, on, a, on a screen like that. It's, it's DK Metcalf in Cloud City, and then you get down all the way down. And so most of these guys, most of the other ones are in Mustafar or worse. <laughs> <laughs> to give you a Star Wars reference for the day, um, it's obviously DK Metcalf is the is the is the star of, the, of this class. And going from the from the top, the biggest elephant in the room, the biggest wart, so to speak, is LJ Collier. Um, you know, first round pick, you ex, you have a certain expectation from first round picks, even 29th overall, especially at defensive end and edge. You know, and 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 on the defensive line, you're trying to get a, a pass rusher. And especially when guys after LJ Collier were taken have excelled um, in a similar position elsewhere, right? when you're stuck with LJ Collier, um, who has three sacks in three years, and you got all three sacks in, I believe, 2020. Um, it's just that that is, I think, the the biggest, besides DK Metcalf, the biggest, who's obviously one of the bigger finds for the Seahawks in the last three, four years of drafts, one of the biggest warts, one of the biggest you know, faux pas, Errors that the Seahawks have made in the last three, four years also comes from that draft class at LJ Collier. It's just that he hasn't been able to find a way to stick at a certain position and find his niche. Um, and it's unfortunate to have a 29th overall defensive end that you had high hopes for like that. Um, especially and for a while, he had kind of Rashad Penny shielding him from some of the flack uh, as a former first round pick who began, who was uh, underperforming. But the last month or plus of last season kind of, helped shed a little of that for Rashad Penny. And now it's squarely, the, the sun is, square, is squarely glaring at LJ Collier at the top of this. Three sacks in three years for your first round defensive end. That's pretty inexcusable. Yeah, obviously he had the ankle injury his rookie season that set him back. He played in 11 games, but didn't have any sacks, had three tackles. And then I thought 2020 that Collier played fairly well. The sack numbers weren't there, but you could see consistent pressure. He was coming with clutch plays consistently, that goal line stop on Cam Newton. And then last year, seven healthy scratches, just completely out of the rotation for most of the season. Like that can't happen with guys that are picked in the first couple rounds, let alone a first round pick. And so he's now entering that last year of his rookie deal, really looking to turn things around. Marquise Blair, their second pick, who they picked 47th overall out of Utah, has played well when he's been healthy, but that's been the problem. Torn ACL, missed most of the 2020 season. Last year, missed most of the year with a fractured kneecap. He just has not been able to stay on the field. And in part, that necessitated the trade for Jamal Adams because there are durability questions going back to high school with this guy. So he hasn't necessarily panned out because of injuries. If he'd been healthy, we saw what he could do in training camp two years ago. The guy's a really good football player, but he hasn't been out there enough to really showcase. And DK Metcalf, as we mentioned, in his first three years, he's one of five receivers in NFL history with 200 or more receptions, more than 3,100 receiving yards, and 29 or more receiving touchdowns. Two of the guys on that list 
are Jerry Rice and Randy Moss. So we're talking pretty elite company for DK Metcalf. So he was the one major hit, the Seahawks trading back to the end of the second round to get him. They're working on trying to get a long-term deal so that he is here for the foreseeable future as one of the highest paid receivers in football. And he deserves every penny that he gets paid with the numbers that he has put up here in Seattle the first couple of years. And then really the biggest wild card here is the next pick in the third round, Cody Barton, because Barton's been a special teams guy. They're just There's been roadblocks, a guy by the name of Bobby Wagner in front of him and Jordan Brooks getting picked in the first round. But he's going to get a chance to be the guy this year at Mike Linebacker playing alongside Brooks. And so he's one of the few guys on here that you look at thinking, man, the production hasn't been there his first three years, but some of that hasn't been his fault. And now he's got a chance to really blossom in his fourth season, could still be a big part of their plans. If that happens and he has a really good season, then this draft class is going to look significantly better just on that alone. Yeah, I'd say if there's if there's any player that still has a question mark or can make the most – uh, you know, change to their legacy in their rookie era um, after being drafted this year. It's Cody Barton. Absolutely. We, we kind of know who most of these guys are for better or for worse. Um, Cody Barton is, is I agree that the biggest wild card, maybe Ugo Amadi. Uh, we'll get into that. Maybe that uh, he's also kind of in there too, but to, to a bigger scale, Cody Barton, because he's replacing a hall of fame ring of honor player. One of the best linebackers to ever play the game and Bobby Wagner and now he's going to get his shot. And you always wonder, you know, when, when a guy goes from a reserve or he thrives in a reserve role, a, a, you know, a limited role, a special teams role, he thrives there. And then when he gets put in the spotlight, you've seen it go two, one of two ways. You see him thrive and continue to build on that and success and, and become a fine player. You've also seen guys shrink and, and not be up to the task of such a bigger role. So that that is the question that needs to be answered of, of Cody Barton this year. Um, Gary Jennings is a, is didn't even make it out of the first training camp. He's bounced around. I believe um, he was with the Chiefs last we checked. Um, and he's he's uh, he's gonna have a hard time sticking, I think, in the NFL and you know, the CFL. Maybe maybe he sticks there, but certainly, um, there was some hype with him knowing Russell Wilson. You know, we heard that those storylines going on, and that amounted to absolute so <laughs> absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was tough to watch because he was hyped up so much, and then nothing. Yeah, that was really tough because he was a guy that the coaching staff was talking up a lot too. And then it just kind of became apparent early in training camp. And then he made some mistakes in preseason games. It just became apparent that this was not a good fit. And I still thought at that point that he was probably going to be on the roster. But I was relieved the Seahawks did not take any receivers in the fourth round this year. And they waited till the seventh round because they have just had a horrible track record picking receivers in the fourth round throughout the Pete Carroll, John Schneider era, Gary Jennings was the latest. And I mentioned this injuries have really been the biggest detriment to this class, because I think Phil Haynes, if he would have been healthy in his first two seasons, Phil Haynes is probably one of your starters. I don't know that there's a trade made for Gabe Jackson before last season. And Haynes played well in two starts late last year. So maybe he's still somebody that could be part of your future. Still a very young player, but he played like five snaps his first two years. So no chance to develop him because of injuries. Ben Burkirvin, a fifth-round pick out of Washington, missed all of last year with a torn ACL, has been stuck on special teams. He's a guy that truly could be on the roster bubble coming off that injury going into the season with some of the other young linebackers they have. Travis Homer, their sixth-round pick out of Miami, has been a good pass protector, has given them some value on special teams, that fake 
a punt that he re- that he took for a touchdown last year. I mean, he has done some nice things, but he is a core special teams player and a third down back. That seems to be the ceiling. I think for a sixth rounder, though, that one's decent value. Ugo Amadi's played a handful of snaps for you on defense each of the last two years. Actually played quite a bit with Marquise Blair being out. And for the most part, he's done a solid job. Nothing spectacular, but gives you value on special teams too. So he's probably one of the better picks in this draft class. It's just You look at the back half, DeMarcus Christmas never played a down for him. He's in the CFL. John Ursua may be the biggest disappointment because there was so much hype surrounding him coming out of Hawaii and never amounted to anything. Got hurt last year, tore his AC on the preseason. And now he's probably on his way out of the NFL. He's a free agent, hasn't been signed by anybody at this point. Maybe he'll get a shot before training camp to latch on somewhere, but it seems like his time in Seattle is done. It's just the injury factor, his ACL, Bergkirvin, Haynes being out for multiple seasons, Blair missing most of two seasons. I mean, they've just been unable to keep this group healthy, and that has been a big factor when you look at the fact that, aside from DK Metcalf, this has been a largely underwhelming group in terms of production, and yet so many of them are still on the roster. And that could be a good or bad thing, depending on <laughs> how you look at it. Uh, and we say all the time, you know, the best ability is availability. And, and to a certain extent, health and durability is a skill or a talent. You know, the you know baseball, you know, the Manny Machado, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, a, a selfish comparison. He's always got he's always good for 158 to 162 games every year. Football, Russell Wilson was the Ironman. Cal Ripken, you know, the ultimate example in baseball, just those guys, it, it was a skill kind of to, to play through injuries and to get through it. And so, and there's a bit of a combo of bad luck and just not durable and, and just not, not having that skill. And unfortunately, a lot of these guys just have not been available. And when they've been, especially when they've been needed at times, these, they, they could have turned to one of these guys for a bigger role, but they just weren't available. And that, that's, that's what stinks about sports sometimes. And um, yeah, it, it's kind of a bad luck, but at the same time, uh, underwhelming production mixed with some injuries, and that's what you're going to get as the 2019 draft class. Yeah, and there's still some hope here, like we've mentioned in this segment. Guys like maybe Ugo Amadi ends up being your slot still. Cody Barton could be a long-term starter. If he plays like he did the last two games last year, and you, like you said, we never know in those situations when a guy is vaulted from being a situational player like that to being a full-time starter, how they're going to react, how they're going to play. But if he can carry that over, and play like that for a full season next to Jordan Brooks, you could have a really dynamic linebacker group for the next several years, even without Bobby Wagner. And he's obviously a great athlete. So there is some hope that a few of these guys can still end up being really key contributors along with DK Metcalf. But for the most part, whether it's been injuries or just in the case of LJ Collier falling out of favor to the point that you're a healthy scratch, this group just hasn't lived up to the hype. I think a lot of people were really excited about this group in 2019. I was among those, and the injuries have really been the biggest factor more than anything. Guys just missing extended period of time. It's prevented them from reaching their potential. Still some time, though, with one year left in their contract for a number of these guys to make a bigger impact, maybe play their way into another contract with the Seahawks. It's Blue Friday, as we always do. It's time for game day, and we haven't done this for a while. What's the word and how this works? We're going to have a statement some sort of a sentence here. Many of these are going to be linked to the Seahawks roster, maybe what's going on in OTAs. And you and I are going to have to fill in the blank with the word of our choice as one of our favorite games. So let's get to it. Our first one, 
Seahawk fans should feel blank about the prospect of Geno Smith or Drew Locke starting in week one. Nick, what's the word? Well, I just think about when I read this, like, you know, Geno Smith and Drew Locke are, are going to be your starters. How do you feel? I, I, I'm blasé. You know, that's my word. <laughs> they should feel blasé. You know, eh, it's not, you know, it, for me, it doesn't move the needle towards, oh, yeah, we're going to compete in the NFC West. We're going to be, you know, we're going to be right in there as competing for, for division title, division championship. They're not moving the needle either way, really. Um, so, yeah, Blase, just uninspiring maybe a little bit there. And, and I, I truly hope I'm wrong. That's that's kind of the feeling I got. Yeah, I'm going to cheat a little bit. I don't consider this cheating anymore because if you watch part of the interruption, the show that we got this game from, they throw multiple words sometimes out because that's what makes it fun. I'm going to say at peace. And the reason that I'm saying that is, look, you're going into the season with low expectations, especially the quarterback group with these guys battling. If one of them ends up being a solid starter, that is sugar on top. Maybe this team ends up being a lot better than most prognosticators are believing. If it doesn't, though, you can you can be at peace of the fact that, you know, maybe this team gets a top five pick to go with their other first round pick and they can get their star quarterback of the future with a star studded quarterback class coming out in 2023. So uh, to me, I'm, I think Seahawks fans should be at peace with the idea, hey, if one of these guys ends up becoming a long-term guy, particularly Drew Locke with him only being 25, and then, hey, that's great. We got our guy. If not, we can go get that player next year, and luckily we've got a really good quarterback class coming in in 2023. Next up on our what's the word, number two, sticking with the quarterback position, Baker Mayfield would be a blank fit under center in Shane Waldron's offense. What's the word, Nick? <laughs> well, I'll cheat on this one a little bit. Words. Uh, he's he would be a hard knocks worthy fit <laughs> under <laughs> center at Shane Waldron's offense. You know, maybe not the perfect fit, maybe not a horrible fit, but either way, for better or for worse, it'll be entertaining. Um, you know, he's eleven and five with the Browns two years ago, and and has you know those progressive commercials, and certainly has a big personality for better or for worse. <laughs> So yeah, put him on hard knocks and 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 uh, get your favorite finger food and, and enjoy the show. I think this has got to be a get your popcorn ready fit, and that can be good or bad because I think that the chip that Baker Mayfield has in his shoulder it really is a boulder. He's had it since he was a walk on at Texas Tech. I think Pete Carroll would view that as a great thing, but he rubs people the wrong way sometimes. And it happened in Cleveland's locker room. It happened with the coaching staff. Now, Pete Carroll has a history of working well with guys like that. So this could end up being a really good mesh when you put him in this offense where there's going to be a run game. You know that Shane Waldron's going to use play action a lot. So I could see it being very fascinating. It'd be somewhere it's must-see TV. Get your popcorn ready. But also there could be a lot of drama because of his history. So it could be good. It could be bad. But either way, it's something you're going to want to watch if it does happen. Looking at our third one here, we're going to move away from the quarterback position to the guys catching passes from the quarterback. Coming off a rough rookie year, D. Eskridge's year number two prospects look blank. What's the word? Well, I'm with how little he played and how little impact he made last year, I'm going to say they look urgent. I think there needs to be some urgency. And with, you know, with uh, the change in quarterback and maybe a little bit of philosophy, he might run the risk of maybe being lost in the shuffle a little bit if, if he continues to, to underwhelm. And I know injuries were a big part of last year, and it's not quite fair. 
in his rookie year to kind of judge him so harshly. But I think there definitely there definitely needs to be a little urgency under there in, in getting him going this year. And I think this offense does fit him well. Um, I think they need to urgently get him involved and get him going and and, and hopefully a, his first full season. I think that his outlook looks propitious. There's a bit of a rosiness to it. Maybe I'm being too optimistic on this particular one, but I mean, he did catch a bomb in Monday's first OTA from Geno Smith. High pointed it. I still love the fit for this kid in this offense and how his skill set is a compliment to what DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett do. His ability to create after the catch, to be used on jet sweeps, there just has to be less predictability with that. Get him more involved in the passing game, quick bubble screen, stuff like that. And he can beat you vertically. I mean, the guy's got 4-3 speed. I mean, he's a dynamic athlete. I still believe that this guy can be a really good NFL receiver. It's just, you know, when you have a really severe concussion like he did at the beginning of last season, he was set back with a toe injury before that that cost him a good chunk of training camp. He didn't seem to really know the offense as well as he should have. It was, you know, he had teammates trying to line him up. That's not happening now, thank God. And, you know, he's able to get where he needs to go. He knows Shane Waldron's offense now. His skill set, like I said, really is a nice compliment to the receivers they already have. There's some pressure on him. I mean, you got to go out and perform, especially since they could have had Creed Humphrey there. That is going to hang over D. Eskridge until he goes out and performs. But I believe that he can still be a dynamic force in this offense, given his skill set is so different from some of the other top receivers the Seahawks have, and special teams could come into play as well. So I'm still very optimistic, even though last year did not play out anywhere like the Seahawks hoped or Eskridge hoped that it would in 2021. Next up, last one here on the offensive side of the football. Let's go to the trenches. Starting a pair of rookie tackles against the Broncos in week one is blank. Well, Kenobi coming out today. Uh, big Star Wars fan myself. Got my shirt on. I'm going to say this would be another happy landing. <laughs> <laughs> for me, I, I hope this happens. This would be a happy landing for me because that would mean that they, they're impressing, that they're they're making a good impact in camp, and that they are taking that role and that uh, those expectations and running with them. Of course, you could look from the other side and say, well, that also means they might not have any better options, which also wouldn't be great. Um, but for me, I'm going to choose to look at it uh, like Obi-Wan Kenobi looked a lot of situations, a bit more optimistically uh, and, and maybe with some humor involved or sass. I guess he was full of sass. Um, but for me, if, if Charles Cross is on the left side and Abe Lucas is on the right side week one, I think that's a good thing. I'm going to go with spine tingling because to me, this is a word that can be interpreted in different ways. On one hand, there's general excitement. We could have our bookends of the tackle positions for the next 10 years with Charles Cross and Abe Lucas. Let's just get them in there. Let's have them go through their lumps right away. But these guys could end up being long-term fixtures in the offensive line. The offensive line could be the building block for your future playoff teams, whereas it was viewed as a detriment much of the time that Russell Wilson was under center. You couldn't protect him. These guys can be your building blocks. But at the same time, it's spine tingling because you're thinking, oh, God, I'm playing two rookies from day one. And like they're going to have to deal with Bradley Chubb immediately in week one. Next week, hey, you know Nick Bosa's over there. Have fun. Eric Armstead, go block him. I mean, they're going to have some really tough challenges early in the season. And there are going to be some growing pains. And sometimes that can set guys back if you put them in before they're ready. Now, I don't know that that would be the case with these two guys, but – 
either way, this is fine tingling because you are both excited at the same time. You're, you know, there's some fear about what might happen when you put two rookie tackles into the lineup together at the same time to start a season. I'm excited about it, the possibility, but there's also some reason for some concern when you put young guys in at, at two crucial positions on your offensive line. Going to the defensive side of the football now, have to have some Jamal Adams talk here. Pairing Jamal Adams with Sean Desai will yield blank results. Well, to uh, reference one of my favorite cereals, uh, it'll it'll yield magically delicious results. <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, Sean Desai knows his way around talented safeties, given his his pedigree and his history. And he he's going to figure out a way. And I think this new arrangement of defensive coaching staffs, their priority number one should be how to de- properly deploy and use a very talented, very expensive safety in Jamal Adams. Uh, he can still be a top five, top 10 safety in this league. And I think he is talent wise for sure. Um, but I, I think getting the right pieces and getting the right scheme and using him in the right way could be magically delicious. I'm going to stick with the food theme here, but I, I'm just going to make one statement here. We are not sponsored by KFC before I say this, but this is a, Finger licking good arrangement, putting Sean Desai. Look at his track record with the Bears. I mean, he stuck around with three different head coaches because of his smarts and his ability to coach up the secondary. You had guys like Eddie Jackson that had monster seasons when he was working with those position groups. His corners, maybe the best season in Kyle Fuller's entire career in Chicago was when he was working with Sean Desai. And so I'm this to me has been a match made in heaven since they were able to bring him in as associate head coach. I think he's going to know how to get the most out of him. And Clint Hurt's going to let his assistant coaches put players in positions that they can succeed. So I expect to see plenty of blitzing for Jamal Adams. It's not just going to be rushing off the edge. They're going to blitz him through the A-gap. They're going to move him around. And they're going to know how to maximize his coverage skills too. They'll put him in ideal matchups against tight ends running backs. They'll play some two deep coverages that he showed he could do last year. I just, I like this matchup a lot. I think that it has a chance to be finger licking good. It's going to be cuisine on defense for the Seahawks. All right, next one here. Seattle will have a blank linebacking duo in Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks. What's the word? I'm going to go with, uh, I was going to say murky linebacking duo, but to add, it's going to be Dago like murky linebacking duo in Cody Barton and Jordan Brooks. There's a lot of unknowns about Cody Barton, like we mentioned previously in the show. He's going to go from a, a reserve niche role as a, as a solid special teams player to someone that they're going to depend on week in, week out, snap in, snap out every game, every every defensive snap pretty much to, to produce and be the guy next, be, be the Robin to Jordan Brooks' Batman, be his Anakin to his Obi-Wan. I don't know, insert insert reference there. Um, and, and right now it's a little bit murky on how he's going to respond to that. Um, I'm, I'm hoping it comes out on the other side uh, nice and clear and sunny, but uh, for now it's it's very much clouded. I'm just going to say no nonsense because if you've ever watched press conferences with these two guys, they're different personalities. Cody Barton's definitely got that farm boy rodeo personality, but I mean, he's pretty, he's pretty laid back, reserved not a super talkative guy all the time. Jordan Brooks is very reserved too. He's all business. These two guys, I don't know what the results are going to necessarily look like. We don't know what to expect from Cody Barton. We believe Jordan Brooks has all pro upside. Cody Barton 
the Seahawks have been very high on since they drafted him. There just hasn't been a spot for him. Now he gets that opportunity, but I can guarantee these two guys are going to put the work in and there's not going to be excuses. These, these two guys are no nonsense workers, different personalities, but they play the game and prepare much the same way. And so to me, that's a big positive. Now, does it translate to them being really productive working together? That remains to be seen, but I expect both these guys are going to handle their business and their preparation the way they need to, to be highly successful on Pete Carroll and Clint Hurd's defense, maybe give them a pair of linebackers for the next several years, and they'll be in really good shape coming out of the Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright era. Going to the secondary now, Tariq Woolen has a chance to be a blank cornerback working with Pete Carroll and Carl Scott. You know, I was thinking of like words that have to do with electricity. Obviously, electric would be there. I'm going to go voltaic. He's gonna, he has a chance to be a voltaic cornerback, and that, that means pertaining to electricity or electric currents, especially when produced by chemical action. And for me, at least, just looking at his measurables, he looks like he was produced chemically in some lab uh, as, like, who could be this, this freakish superhero kind of looking cornerback and, you know, insert DC Marvel uh, reference there, just chemically created in a lab kind of player and electric and, and voltaic. And Tariq Wollen, if things break right, obviously he's very raw. And this is, this is you know, pure upside, pure, you know, ceiling. He has a chance to be one of the most electric, exciting cornerbacks in the National Football League. I'm going to go a little bit out in left field with this next one because our listeners are going to be like, this just doesn't even seem like his type of lingo, but he is a pageant-worthy cornerback. Like, if you're talking about a, a model corner that you would want to bring to a pageant, be like, this is an NFL corner in 2022 with 4-2-6 speed, 6'4", 208 pounds, long arms, can jump through a building. Uh, this is the kind of guy, if, and like you said, you know, it's built in a lab. It's created on Madden. You don't see corners with this kind of athleticism and size. And so for Pete Carroll, he's going to be wanting to show off that new toy that he's got in the secondary. Now, he might have to wait a little bit. They're going to have to do some further development and refinement before the product is released to the public, so to speak. But once that time comes, you know he's going to be really excited and really proud to show off, hey, look what I got in my secondary now. Tariq Woolen has incredible upside. The question is going to be, can they develop him? And how quickly do things come together? But his ceiling is as high as any player that's in this draft class for the Seahawks. Maybe he has the high, highest ceiling of any player in the draft class in general when you just look at the off-the-charts athleticism and size. Last but not least, going to special teams for our final one. The Seahawks should be blank for sticking with Jason Myers for a fourth season. Well, I hate to end on a negative note, but I'm going to say they should be scrutinized. Um, he, he currently has a bigger cap hit than DK Metcalf, Geno Smith, or Jordan Brooks. Uh, had a shaky year a little bit. And he's been overall a, a decent, solid kicker, but is certainly someone who's now 11th in payroll. Um, I, I would expect to have maybe a Pro Bowl worth. And he has that in his system, obviously. He has that in his resume. Um, but I think just with other stuff going on um, and uh, with – maybe other kickers on the market draft wise um, with, with some salary stuff. Uh, they, they, just, they, they, the, the fans have a right to scrutinize um, the decision to stick with Jason Myers. I think that's a very fair assessment. 
I'm just going to put accepted because to me, I'm not going to go out and say that this was a bad move necessarily because two years ago, Jason Myers was arguably the best kicker in the entire NFL. And we know there's a lot of regression as much as any position in the NFL at the kicker spot year to year. So he could go out this year and have another fantastic season, but he's been so wildly inconsistent that you can understand why fans wouldn't be jubilant either about him coming back, especially with the cap hit that you mentioned being bigger than DK Metcalf and some of the other notable players on the roster. He's one of the highest paid kickers in the NFL. He needs to produce like it. We know that he can. He was a pro bowler with the Jets the year before the Seahawks brought him back. Remember, he was with the Seahawks in training camp that year before getting cut in favor of Sebastian Janikowski. He has had a very strange career path, but a lot of kickers, that's the way that it goes. And it's just a, it's a position that there's a lot of inconsistency and erraticness to the production. And so I'm just going to say accepted because, look, we'll accept that you brought him back because he can be capable of being great. There weren't a lot of options out there. You could have maybe drafted one, but that's never guaranteed that that's going to work out. At the same time, the cap is pretty big. We're not overly excited necessarily unless he plays like he did two years ago, and then this could look like a smart decision for the Seahawks. So time will tell. This one is difficult to really gauge. From Seattle's perspective, you can understand why they kept him. You could maybe understand why they should have looked elsewhere, at least brought in some competition to go against him. As always, thanks for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinSmithNFL. You can follow Nick at NickLee51. Coming up next week on Monday, I'll be rejoined by Rob Rang for the holiday. We've got a special edition episode coming your way. Going to have maybe a game on Monday, and we will be previewing the second week of OTAs with some key storylines as Seattle continues the final phase of its off-season program. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the holiday. Thanks for listening. Go Hawks.